Hey everyone, Bridget here. I hope you've noticed that there are no ads on this series. That means no interruptions. If you're enjoying the story, it would mean the world to me if you took a few minutes to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Time for a Story, Scary Stories from a Small Town in Maine. Season 4, Chapter 2, All of Us. They mostly come out at night. Mostly. James Cameron. Lake fog's really something, eh, boss? He heard someone say. Yup, Nathan Randall answered back. The fog was impenetrable. The morning mist had turned to a driving rain, and it poured off of his plastic-covered campaign hat like overflow from a rain gutter. He could not see his cruiser, only the form of the covered body at his feet. Once again, Nathan lifted the top corner of the black tarp. The body before him was positioned on its left side, the head tilted upward. This time, everyone had seen what Nathan had secretly been looking for, a bite mark. It was directly under the victim's chin, clean, and only slightly swollen. It looked like the young man had been stabbed with a carving fork. The scene was otherwise unremarkable. Nothing was out of place, no sign of a struggle or robbery. Nathan could see the outline of the man's wallet still in his right back pocket. The sheriff studied the victim's face, but for the strange wound on his neck, he could have been sleeping. It had taken nearly three hours for the medical examiner's van to arrive from Augusta, and now it idled from somewhere behind him on the marina entrance road near Deputy Grassley's SUV. Twice that morning, Nathan and his deputies carefully combed the surrounding area, but only Nathan returned to the top of the boat ramp and the body. Now he was in a crouched position, both arms resting on his knees, and he was deep in thought. Just feet away from him, the big lake heaved slowly onto the bottom of the boat ramp, thick as motor oil. Nathan's eyes moved across the viscous water toward the direction of Ed's place, which sat somewhere beyond the curtain of dense fog. More time passed with Nathan lost in thought. The house on the Barker Road. He had seen it, the room with the beds. Was that only just yesterday? Deputy Grassley approached the sheriff from behind and hesitated for a moment. The best way to help his boss was to do his job. He cleared his throat. throat) Mason was a good kid. I'll go see his dad. 
Right, Nathan said, as he stood up and turned to face Bob. The two lawmen locked eyes. There was so much Nathan wanted to tell Bob, to tell everyone, but it wasn't time yet. You got the weight of the world on your shoulders, boss, but don't forget, all of us are here to help. And with that, the deputy whistled abruptly in the direction of the white OCME van. The two men could hear the sound of the van door slide open. All right, let's get things rolling. We don't have all day, you know, Bob yelled out. Nathan patted Bob's shoulder in gratitude, and then he walked back toward his cruiser, back into the fog. It was time to get Ed. That's it, Ed. I can't get any more. Could you get anything? Ed asked, trying to extract some value from this very bad news. You're not hearing me. They suspect something. Both hospitals have changed the access codes. There's nothing I can do except try to act normal and not lose my license to practice. Amelia was driving over the speed limit. She still needed to stop at her place, and it would be dark in a few hours. I understand. Ed wanted to ask her to try a different hospital to find a trusted friend who might be able to help them. The quick math in his head was painting a grim picture. Without a way to immobilize what was waiting for them, they were defenseless. But in that moment, he decided reassurance was the best approach. We have enough for now, and we can make do. Just drive safely and get back here as soon as you can. I don't know what else to do, Ed. I'm sorry, the doctor said as she ended the call. Her voice was solemn and her body was shaking. The ride back felt impossibly slow as she continued north along the winding mountain road toward home. She hadn't spoken to Nathan in days, not since their afternoon at the ice cream shack, the day she had spoken so harshly to him. He used to check in multiple times a week just to ask if she and Harper needed anything. I'm headed to the grocery store. Does Harper want ice cream? She missed those calls. Now, less than a year later, Nathan barely checked in at all. And why would he? The more her mind replayed their last conversation together, the more shrill her own voice sounded. She had pushed him away. The day was gray and cold, and the rains were heavy. She passed the Rainbow Falls picnic area, its parking lot covered in a carpet of wet leaves. It was a somber sight for someone in desperate need of comfort. Other people were on the road, driving along and living their lives completely unaware of how life was changing, of how the walls were closing in on all of them. What happens to these people? to all of us, in our understanding of how to live. How do we warn them all? We're responsible for warning them all. She was shaking again. Take a deep breath and try focusing on what you can control in the moment, Amelia said out loud, recognizing these as the same words she had used with her patients and their family members over the years. I used to be able to handle anything, she told the windshield. And now look at me. She missed Harper and her old life. Amelia bit at a hangnail and willed herself to think about next steps. 
She would grab a few days' worth of clothing and the loaded syringes of Dippervan that she kept in her nightstand. Then she would lock up for good and drive directly to Ed's. Please, oh please, don't let it be dark when I get home, she pleaded softly. I know where they're hiding, where they rest, Nathan said, as soon as Ed opened the entrance door to his garage. Ed stared back at the sheriff. Apparently, during urgent situations, basic manners are no longer required. That must be a weight off your shoulders, Sheriff. Ed opened the door only wide enough for Nathan to come in from the rain, which he did quickly. Now they were standing in the garage, only feet away from Ed's ATV and the strong smell of new rubber tires. Nathan didn't have time for joking. You don't look so good, Ed. I don't feel so good, Sheriff. This comment hit Nathan hard. Was Ed sick? Nathan decided to ignore the comment, for now. There was another victim, Ed, down at the marina. I've been at the scene most of the day. It was Paul's son, Mason. He'd come back to Maine after college to help run the business. Nathan took his sheriff's hat off and leaned back against the cement wall where he pressed his fingers onto his eyelids. You told me there were more out there and I didn't want to believe it. Ed never moved while Nathan continued. And now I know where they sleep. I've seen where they go to rest. Ed felt lightheaded. Samantha was out there and he had done nothing to warn people. Samantha killed the young man at the marina. Of course she did. Oh God. Oh God. Nathan kept talking, not noticing Ed's panic. I don't know how many, but I suspect possibly three. I saw three beds. Just the three. You sure? Ed's brain was flooding with images of low supplies and a town in danger. Nathan looked up at Ed. No, not sure. Like I said, I saw three beds, but that doesn't mean there aren't more. They're in a house down on the Barker Road. I'd like to burn it to the ground, but that won't do us any good, will it? No, Ed agreed. They'll disperse, spread out, and then we'll have to track them down one by one. Ed wondered how he had become an expert on the topic. We have to go in there, deal with them while they sleep, and we have to do it immediately, at first light. The two of us, against however many of them, I don't see how. Nathan was excluding Amelia. He was not about to put her in harm's way. He had talked himself out of calling her, reasoning that now wasn't the time to burden her with his feelings. In the meantime, he wanted only to be with her, and so he had stayed away. That old farmer managed quite a bit, all by himself. I should think the three of us can handle things, Ed said. Nathan could still recall the scene, and Clyde White's body, and the varying hues of blood that lined Abram's lair. Ed continued, Dr. Karen's on her way. She's been trying to get more dipper van all morning. No luck. Where's she now? Nathan asked, pulling himself away from the garage wall. He was moving toward the door. Ed was speaking to Nathan's back. She's on her way back from the hospital, headed to her house to pack. 
Nathan returned his hat to his head and looked at his watch. It was nearly 5 p.m. It'll be dark in an hour, he said, picturing the bite mark on Mason's neck, on Daisy Terriot's wrist, and then Miss Linda's remains. I'm going to go get her. Sixty and a forty-five would get her home sooner, but the roads were winding and the visibility was poor. She lowered her speed as she rounded another hairpin turn, and it was just in time. There, only just feet in front of her, was a flagman, and he was waving an orange emergency light. She hit the brakes. Ahead, she could make out several construction vehicles moving back and forth across the road. As soon as she came to a stop, the flagman came to her window. He was old, and he was soaking wet. Amelia wanted so much to warn the man. Run! Protect yourself! They're coming! They're out there! Roads washed out ahead. Too much rain. Never thought I'd say that this year. When the doctor didn't respond, he continued on. Anyways, got some fill we're putting in now. Gotta shore up that side of the road for we can get you going again. How long? How long will it take? Amelia couldn't believe her bad luck. Turning around to take the alternate route would take hours. Should have you on your way in twenty minutes, give or take. You gotta bear with us. Can't leave it like this. It's getting dark. Amelia had already pushed the button to close her car window, but the last part of his sentence had managed to slide in, landing on her lap. Getting dark. No kidding. The windshield wipers swooshed back and forth, counting the time that was slipping away from her like a rescue buoy in a riptide. Twenty minutes. I can wait twenty minutes. Hold it together, Amelia. Hold it together. Twenty minutes had been a poor assessment. Amelia Karen sat in her car under the roar of the pelting rain for over an hour. There, on that spot along the valley road, miles from home, the surrounding mountains had walled off any hope of decent cell service. There was no way to let Ed know that she was running late, and now she was starting to wonder if she would even make it there at all. Performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram or visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening.